This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rivals. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Welcome to Talking Halos. This is Derek C. Apollo, all by myself tonight, but not for long. Here to discuss the Angels' road trip out to Cleveland and also get to part two of our interview with C.J. Wilson, former Angels pitcher. Before we do, we do want to ask you guys to head on over to Apple Music, subscribe, maybe even, hey, leave a great five-star review. We got one today, which I'll read our next episode with John, because John, I want him to hear it. And also, if you, if you aren't quite there yet and don't want to give us that five-star review, that's all right, too. Email us at talkinghalos.gmail.com. Give us your feedback and tell us what we can do to, to get better, to be a better show for you. And finally, if you are a new listener and you're enjoying the show, please do us a favor. Text a fellow Angels fan with a no better podcast. It would mean the world to us. Honestly, you guys have been great. Our subscribers are way up. It's been a lot of fun reaching out and meeting different people and many with different points of view than us. So I hope that really kind of just rings true across the board. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate you joining us and listening on our shows and so on and so forth. All right. So all that said, right away, let's get to our Cleveland Indians preview is with Jeff Ellis from Locked on Indians. I got to give you a little bit of a warning. There's probably a little bit of background noise. He's in the hotel room. He's on the road for, um, he tells you, he's actually scouting some Indians road games. He's out there scouting some farm games for the Indians. And um, he's got a lot to say. Check it out. Here's our interview with Jeff Ellis for Locked on Indians. All right, folks, I'm here with Jeff Ellis, the host of Locked on Indians. And it's a bit of a Ohio conversation because, as you guys know, I live out here in Ohio. And um, the Angels are visiting this weekend. Jeff, how you doing? I am, I'm good. It's been, honestly, a crazy past few days. I've been, uh, I'm back in Ohio. Normally, I'm not actually in Ohio. I've been checking out the AA uh, Akron this week as they face uh, Toronto's AA team. So I've been doing some prospect watches and then just i mean the trade itself i i got back from a game that night i was down i was down in the clubhouse of the rubber ducks uh 
when that trade broke and I'm like breaking it to the players and to the management down there and it was it was kind of a crazy scene and then I drive back home run upstairs and I don't think I went to bed till about three in the morning when I got done with podcast and article on that now you took some heat too yesterday didn't you because of all the trades moving around and you thought there was a trade going down and it just well what yeah, I, I did. I took a lot of heat, and it kind of amazed me because, I mean, I'm not anyone big. And, I mean, the minute I tweeted it, I started to get a little bit nervous just because it went so quick. It was the only tweet I've ever had go viral, and my mm-hmm. followers jumped way too high. And I saw um, there was Indians brass down there, and they were getting the manager in, and uh, they were having this discussion, and they were bringing players in, and they are having this discussion. And normally we go right to the manager, do the post-game interview. It's the minors. It's not a big wait. And we had to wait and wait and wait. And we waited down there for a good 10 to 15 minutes. And the group I'm with goes, this has to be a trade, right? And, you know, there was some talk when we listened to the Indians game that night that they thought they had crossed the finish line on a trade. And then it turned out the other team, uh, something happened wrong there. So from what I garner, what I saw was like them telling someone and then them telling them, never mind. But wow. yeah, I took, a, I took a lot of flack, got a lot of name calling, got a lot of insults. But yeah, I... I shouldn't, the big deal was I said I was 100% sure. It was just a visual uh, thing. And, you know, if I said it looked like a trade is occurring here, but again, it's Twitter. I can't boil everything I saw into one. So basically, like basically you're guilty of what many people have, which is an oops. Yeah. <laughs> and we've all made those mistakes. And the Indians did finally get a trade, the block. One of the blockbuster trades. I almost said the, but then they had the late trade with the Astros at the deadline. What a trade. Trevor Bauer goes to Cincinnati. You guys get Yasiel Puig, Scott Moss, Franco Reyes, and Logan Allen. Many, many folks across the league thought, holy crap, how did the Indians get this kind of value for what they gave up, especially given the situation between the Indians and Bauer? What was your reaction to the trade, and what's your overall analysis of it? When I first heard like he was going to the Reds, I was kind of like, "How is this going to work? Are the Indians getting Eugenio Suarez back?" Like that was I was just trying to figure out how this deal was going to work. Um, you know, the the rumor is the Indi- the Reds have been willing to move Tramiel even in the off season, and the Indians are like, "Yeah, we want Senzel," and that was kind of the end of those talks. So. And then when it became announced, it was a, a three-teamer. Uh, I, when I heard it was Logan Allen, Brad Mill Reyes, and Yasiel Puig, I was happy. Um, then when you find out that they got uh, Victor Nova and Scott Moss, well, those are marginal guys. It's even more. So how can you not be even happier? Um, I've been working on Fran Mill Reyes' trade since last October. I think I pulled out a tweet from, like, the 11th of October where I was like, here are the guys the Indians should target for outfielders. And then... Um, in September, I had a deal that I proposed Bauer to San Diego for Matt Strom instead of Logan Allen with Fran Mil Reyes and, uh, and a lot of ticket piece, which is Nova. So I, w- I was close, but the Indians ended up getting more than that. And it was, to me, that's what's impressive. I understand a lot of it basically came down to Taylor Trammell is, Trammell, uh, is a divisive prospect. It's clear the Reds had soured on him. It's clear the Padres had not. You know, some places he's still listed as a top 20 prospect. Others, he's a little bit further down. Um, the Padres were consolidating value, and they have so many outfielders that uh, Fran Mill makes great sense to the Indians. And the Reds are like, we're going to lose Puig anyways. So that makes sense. 
so basically it would start out as just Puig and uh, Puig, Moss, and Trammell, and then they flipped him to San Diego to get three more pieces. Um, there's a weird logic to it all in the end, but uh, yeah, it was. I thought it, it addresses so many needs. Bauer, Bauer was not going to pitch a game in Cleveland next year. He was just going to be too expensive. So to get that much value at this point, I thought was uh, phenomenal. A lot's been made of the relationship between the Indians and Bauer. We saw the article online, the news where he basically attacked the Indians after arbitration, had some not nice comments to say. What was the real situation between Bauer and the team that we all want to know about? You know, I find it interesting because if people can think back, when the Indians acquired Bauer at that point, he was kind of a bit of a fallen prospect and he had had uh, a big falling out with the Arizona Diamondbacks and that's part of the reason the Indians were able to get him is he had had problems um, he didn't want to be coached he wanted to do things his own way and his own way in fairness has been effective for him and he's used that to help um, other pitchers like Clevenger and Bieber on the staff be better but he's always wanted to do things his way there's a lot of points with Bauer where I think it's very clear that he's just immature um he wants to seem cool. He talks about edgy things at points. He'll, you know, talk about things he showed. Like the Sports Illustrated article, it felt to me like we all remember that kid in high school who was, like, trying to seem cool. And that's what that whole Sports Illustrated article to me felt like. It didn't feel like necessarily a jerk, but it felt like someone with self-confidence issues. He was trying to seem cooler than he is. Like, yeah, I don't believe in relationships. Um, girls have to expect that. And it just, everything came off that way to me. And maybe I'm misreading it, but you know he's a, he's an intelligent guy. We know that he loves baseball. He just has a litany of poor decisions, and he's very headstrong. Um, I think he could be actually a great pitching coach someday. But yeah, it's I think the thing with Bauer is he eventually is going to rub you wrong because if you're the manager, you're just he's not. I don't think he's coachable. Um, and I think he can be effective without being coachable, but he's not coachable because he knows himself well. He's been successful with what he's done, and he believes firmly in his own approaches. So, in other words, even if there's a minor thing wrong with his delivery or mechanics, he's not going to listen to anybody else. No. He, you know, he knows best, and it's hard to argue against that. And it's something I talked about on the podcast. It's, it's a little bit crazy to me how often he could sit back and spot an error with uh, Clevenger and Bieber so quickly and help them find consistency. But outside of last year, though, the one consistent thing with Trevor Bauer has been inconsistency. Um, last year, he was you know one of the top five pitchers in baseball when he was healthy. This year, he's, still, he's a good number two, but that's what we've seen for his career. Um, and he's just very, very up and down. Uh, he'll have a game that he gives up five runs and three home, three of them three home runs, and then he'll have a game where he gives up like a single hit. So it's you know it, it, it's just one of those things again where I have a hard time saying he shouldn't just be a headstrong uh, pitcher because he has found success with it. But uh, there's definitely been a, we saw some of that friction, especially in like some of the comments today that came out with him and uh, Terry. Yeah, and, but that's all done, and that changes this weekend though because he was supposed to pitch this weekend. I believe was it this weekend or was it supposed to, was it supposed to be on Thursday? No, Thursday was always set to be Danny Salazar's return. Okay, um, so then yeah, was he, it tomorrow. He would have been. Um, 
whatever game it is, Pletko is pitching, I believe. Because originally, uh, like, Salazar is already out of the game tonight. He went four innings. He was only allowed to go 70 tonight. And then Pletko was supposed to be his, um, uh, his, you know, his, why can I not think of the term? Piggyback. He was supposed to piggyback him in the start. But because of the trade, they then had to move Pletko out of the piggyback and put him into Bauer's spot. Um, gotcha. So, I, you know, I should know, but I, off the top of my head, Saturday. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, Saturday. So the matchups this so weekend. Saturday starter. Yeah, Dylan Peters and Clevenger tomorrow. Um, That's it's funny, versus the Indians. Uh, the Indians originally drafted Dylan Peters out of high school, and the Angels originally drafted Mike Clevenger, as I'm sure is a unknown sore spot. So, yeah, um, it's a little sore spot. But with lot. both those, the uh, the other team actually drafted that player. The Indians didn't sign Peters at the time. They made a real close pitch to get him. But yeah, so, Pena on Saturday against Pluko, um, and then on. Sunday, Berea versus Bieber, which we're real thrilled about that one, I'm sure. Uh, how is this change going to affect the team overall? This is the, an Indians team that has been fairly frustrating, I'm sure, to watch for much of the year. Now that they're, they're hot, they're, they're just two and a half games out. What changed and what will this trade mean for them down the stretch? Um, what changed was the strength of schedule more than anything else. I mean, there are some other factors in there. Um, notably, like since June, uh, Jose Ramirez has come out of the nosedive he was in. But uh, they've taken advantage of a very, very weak schedule, which from, uh, I think, like June 7th or so up until this series against Houston, the only team that was over, uh, two teams that faced were over 500 during that stretch, I want to say, were Texas, back when Texas was leading the wild card, and then uh, the Twins in a, a series right after the All-Star game. Mm-hmm. And you have, to be, you have to beat the weak teams. The Indians have taken advantage of that. What this does to the team is, I mean, anyone who's heard the Locked On Indians podcast knows I've been railing against Tito's lineup construction. Um, the fact that Jason Kipnis is no longer hitting fourth when he's clearly the worst hitter on the team, and he's, he's down to seventh. That just makes his lineup so much better. Um, for the Indians, you know, Oscar Mercado has come up and performed really well. Carlos Santana, I think, still is the most productive hitter who changed teams this offseason. Like he's outperformed Harper and Machado offensively. So I think the you know the Indians added the best offensive player for this season in terms of production. Um, I know that's a lot of qualifiers, but he's been utterly fantastic. Uh, Lindor has still been Lindor. So you've got those guys at the top. All of a sudden, you put Puig in instead of Greg Allen or um, Carlos Gonzalez at one point. Um, and that's just a monstrous improvement. Uh, Jose Ramirez is finally hitting, so he's there at five. Branmil Diaz, or Branmil Reyes. Um, I, I, I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, and you look at the DH position and trotting out Hanley Ramirez at the start of the year and players like of that level. Uh, Jake Bowers, who they gave up Yandy Diaz to get in a, very much a stinger trade for the Indians at this point. But uh, he's just been inconsistent all year, so maybe they can work out with him in AAA. But do all that, and you can still keep going down that lineup, which, I mean, the lineup at the beginning of the year was just putrid. Um, you had Carlos Santana and nobody else. And, I mean, Roberto Perez is having an above-average production, not just for catcher, but just in general. He's uh, runs created, I think it's like a 101, 103, so it's right about average. But for a catcher, that's great. 
Um, Naquin Luplo has been a like a, a 120 WRC plus combined platoon. You use them well, so you're getting high level production out of that platoon. And the next Kipnis, who's just he's playing better of late, but he's still. Uh, I mean, the the best outcome with Jason Kipnis is he becomes an average hitter on the course of the year. So, how do you see this series plugging out? You're, you're, you're getting a very, let's just say, shell shocked Angels club coming in. They had their easiest stretch of the year in terms of the two worst teams in baseball. They get clubbed in those games. They go two and five, and a couple of those losses were just brutal. Now they're on the road after a day off, and they're getting one of the best teams in the American League Central. What is the feeling here around this Indians club, and how do they match up overall? You know, I think this is one of those series you, even though you know, the Angels have been close to contention at points this year, we've seen them kind of go up and down, and they are over 500, that you feel like they should take two out of three from this team. Um, there has been, you know, all sorts of issues um, with the, the Rays in terms of, you know, the tragedy and then even the smaller stuff like... Um, uh, just injuries but uh, the one thing that's going to be interesting I think more than anything else is as I recall everyone there well Peters is a lefty and then it was righty righty right so this team is all of a sudden set up very much to be better against left handed pitching so that matchup against Peters is probably that should be their best game offensively in this series you know they're lucky to avoid canning in my opinion so I would think, you know, if you're going to look at a game and Bieber's their best pitcher, that Saturday game would probably be the one I would put the the best odds of losing. And I would say their their best odds of winning is probably that first game, Peters versus Clevenger. And I, I would give them the advantage with Bieber over uh, Borea just because of where the teams are and the, how well Bieber's been this year. But I think their best game for the Angels is is the, the Saturday game. And I think the Indians on the Friday game are going to be set up to play to have their best success now watch those get completely reversed because that's been my uh my luck this year well i mean i'm looking at the the i'm looking at the schedule and thinking the same thing honestly so the best chances started game i'll be at that game and but you never know peters came out a couple times and really just played some awesome baseball and we'll see um but in terms of the lineup itself for the Indians with Puig in the lineup. I, I know he got a suspension today. Is he appealing? What's the word on him? I haven't heard anything yet, I'll be honest. They've been they've been very slow with the trickle of information on, on all of these things. Um, it's like today I, I was able to be like, okay, Scott Moss is going to, is an Akron and someone's like, how do you know? I'm like, because I just saw him in the clubhouse. So, here he is. He's here in person. But they've not, I mean, that was before anything was announced. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they had him, well, I have two thoughts on it. One is you don't want him suspended because he just got here. You want him to kind of settle in and get to know everyone. The second thought is um, you've got multiple series with the Twins coming up, and you definitely want him available for those. So, But I could conceivably see them having him do the, the suspension, maybe even for like some of this weekend, it would be, I think, ideal for them to have him suspended when they're facing lefties, just because, A, he's a righty, and B, um, Luplo can only play versus lefties, 
but Naquin can be okay versus a lefty, but he's better against a righty. So just in terms of, you're never going to face three lefties in a row. But it just makes me think of something like, you know, if Peter's on Friday, maybe that sets them up to, to let him uh, to not appeal and just pick, okay, we've got a lefty, and then we've got some other guys, and we'll see how it goes. Well, I guess I, I would normally ask for a prediction, but honestly, I'm not ever going to go there, man. Uh, we've had predictions go crazy the last two series, and I bad luck, bad luck. So I'll take I'll take your word. The, the Angels' best chance is Saturday. And hey, can you let folks know where they can find you and your work? I know you don't just do Indians work, is that right? Yeah, no, I I'm all over. I, I just one final note on Saturday. I will say the thing to watch out for is um, Adam Klutko was a, was a a very good friend. Um, you know, with Tyler Skaggs, he uh, he had his best performance of the year the day before he flew back um, for the uh, for the funeral. Um, he, I think he might have been a Paul Barra. So for Plutko on Saturday, it's going to be a very emotional game. He's going to be both charged up and saddened, I'm sure. And I think that's just you know, with everything that's going on, something to. Um, I mean, I don't want to be like he's going to pitch better because of it, because it makes it a really hollow thing to say. Um, but he's going to be full of emotions in that game, and it's you know another layer to that just to, to point out from the Indians' perspective. Um, so I do the Locked On Indians podcast, and that's the daily podcast on the Locked On Network. That one's Indians focused, and then all of my writing is on ScoutingBaseball.com. Um, uh, it's one of like three sites for baseball on twenty four seven sports. You cannot uh, navigate to us from the 24-7 sports uh, front page because there are no baseball links, so you'd have to look for scouting and baseball. And when I do that, that is prospect and uh, very much draft-based. I do a lot. Um, probably the majority of my work when it's all said and done is relating to the MLB baseball draft. Um, I used to run that site with my good friend Taylor Blake Ward. So uh, we you know, have had a lot of angels talk and angels draft pick talk there over the years. And uh, we know Taylor pretty well here. Matter of fact, that's how we need to get a hold of you. So, <laughs> awesome stuff. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for joining the show. It was great to get updates on what's going on in the series. And I'm, I know you're in the air. You're going to be up there at all this weekend. I'm not. I'm heading back to uh, to Wisconsin this week. I, uh, I, I had kind of a, a bad timing with things. But, uh, yeah, I just decided instead of going up to the majors, I've just hit all the minors and the uh, – you know, chance to interview Nolan Jones, who I hadn't seen yet, and uh, got to see Nate Pearson of the Blue Jays on uh, Monday. You know, whatever the first Tuesday. So yeah. it was a, a chance to see some prospects because um, that's always kind of more my focus. Um, yeah, I do the podcast about the Indians, and I, I do a lot of things with that. But I would say my primary focus is often on those prospects and uh, draft eligible players. Gotcha. All right, man. Again, thanks much for your time and. We'll talk to you maybe later on this month. Yeah, sounds great. Have a great one. Thanks, you too. Well, one thing is for sure, the games are played for a reason, but the Indians are red hot. The the Indians right now, pitching-wise, they have some guys who have just really given the Angels problems in the past. Clevenger's one of them. I have a lot of doubts as to whether or not this team can even get a win in the series the way they were playing at home. But you know what? Sometimes going on the road changes things. Sometimes being on the road gives you an opportunity to clear your mind, sell things onto baseball, and maybe, just maybe, that's what the Angels are going to be doing right away on this trip. 
I'll be at Saturday's game if you are there. Send us a message on Talking Halos or on the Facebook page, I mean, or on Twitter. And let's see if we can meet up. I'll be, I think, in the, I'll be in Nosebleeds, right around section 555. I'll be up there and, uh, you know, just watch the ball game, chilling like a villain. So check it out there, if you are in Cleveland, by the way. All right, so moving on, we are looking for sponsors for the rest of this season, and, and so and just moving forward, we're looking for sponsors. You can check us out at talkinghillsgmail.com. Leave us a, a message there. We'll get back with you. Also, leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453, and we'll return your call as soon as we can. All right, so without further ado, here's our interview with C.J. Wilson, part two. And believe it or not, we have a part three planned because I did. he is such a articulate guy he talks a lot um and which is good because I, it's hard sometimes getting folks to really express where they are he has no problem doing that but i didn't get through all the questions so we have another appointment to finish the interview in the meantime here's part two and he really talks about the major league baseball contract listen to what he has to say i learned a lot of good stuff here here it is cj wilson part two of our interview All right, folks, I am here with C.J. Wilson for part two of our interview. We're picking up right where we left off. Check it out. Years later, you did have a very good career at the Angels, and I think you don't get a fair shake looking at well, some of the comments over social media about your contract and, and the job you did. But the numbers show you did very well for yourself with the Angels, and you were a solid part of the staff for, for five years, and that's what you signed up for. Why? Yeah. I mean, I, I know why. Listen, here's here's what happens, right? This is this is exactly what happens when we're when we're negotiating the contract, right? We agree on the number. It's this many years and this many dollars. And I was like, okay, hey guys, let's be real here. We you should pay me the same amount every year. And they're like, no, no, no. We want to pay you like one point seven x the last year as we do the first year. I said that makes no sense. Why would you want to pay a thirty five year old dude more than a thirty one year old dude? How does that make any sense? Explain that to me why you want to do that? And they're like, Oh, that's just the way we do it. Because if you get hurt at the end of your career, you know, and then you have, well, like we have your contract insured for like at least 50% of the value. So theoretically, if you don't pitch the last year, of your contract, we get reimbursed by insurance because we have an insurance contract. So the, so the most expensive year that I had, they basically only had to pay 500 grand for because it was all paid back because I got hurt and I was, and I knew this is a sort of a weird story, but it's been a couple of years, so I've, I'm pretty lucid about it. I had a I had a torn rotator cuff, and I knew I had a torn rotator cuff, and I tried to get them to do something about it in 2015, and they didn't want to do anything about it. So when I reported for spring training, they were like, no, we don't need an MRI. We don't need this. We don't need that. It didn't really make any sense to me until later. And I was like, okay, listen, I can go out there and throw 50 pitches at a time. So just put me in the bullpen. I'll be a reliever. I'll be an awesome lefty reliever like I was in 07 and 09, and I'll just do that. And then I'll set up Houston or Joe Smith or whoever you want, you know, and I'll be valuable to the team and I'll help the team win. But that didn't make sense to pay a reliever what they were paying me. So it made more sense for them to try to heal me back up as a starter. And then I exploded the bicep tendon off my shoulder trying to pitch in a minor league game and rehab start, despite the fact that they knew I had a torn rotator cuff and it was like a whole thing. So I, when I step back from it, I'm like, you know what? This was actually really genius. This is completely genius because 
they don't have now because I got hurt and I effectively have a career ending injury. Like they they get all the money back. You know what I mean? And so I felt like, all right, fair play angels, fair play. You know, I wanted to play, I wanted to pitch, but I couldn't pitch as a starter at the level that I was going to pitch at, you know, if I was healthy, that being said, if I would have got surgery in like July or August of 15, when I knew it was an issue, you know, with my shoulder, because we did elbow surgery, which was sort of supposed to be minor. And then when I came back from that, then the idea was, I was like, okay, well, now that my elbow's fixed, let's do my shoulder, and then I'll be fine. I'll be fine by the time spring training rolls around. It's like seven months to rehab. I should be okay, you know? And we didn't do that, and then I blew out because I was trying to pitch around it. And it was, it was pretty brutal. I mean, like, I athletes most of the time give every bit of themselves that they can, yeah. you know? And I was totally conscious of the fact that what I signed up for was my cartilage and my ligaments are going to be left on the mound somewhere at some point. You know, that's what I signed up for. And my inability to hold myself back at earlier points and say, you know what, I need this done now. And I'm just, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I refuse to move until this happens. I try to play the game and be part of the team and do all that stuff. And it costs me. But at the end of the day, you know, the team is able to recoup money at the end of players' careers when they do that hockey stick style payment where they pay you like, X, yeah. X plus one, X plus three, X plus seven, X plus 10. And it's like, you know, like I, I don't understand personally, and I would never structure a guy's contract like that. I would do the opposite. For, for mm-hmm. my contract or Pujols, we were both older guys. I would have yeah. given him $35 million his first three years and then tapered down and gone backwards. I wouldn't have gone the other way around. It doesn't make sense to pay a guy that's 41 years old like that much money. You know, but that's, And this is me as a business person now, as a baseball guy, as a fan. It just, but that's how they structure the contracts. And so then when you read in the newspaper, oh, well, they're paying him this much. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, but they're the ones that signed up for that. Like they, they negotiated that deal and they, they structured it. I didn't structure it. I wanted it the other way around. I wanted to defer money. So I'd get paid like a million dollars this year. I didn't, I never needed to get what I was getting on an annual basis. I would have much rather stretched it into like, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm like, I just think about stuff like that financially because I'm like, oh, hey, more cars. Um, but CJ, um, you just blew a bunch of minds up because for years, folks have asked that question, especially about poo holes. And, and what I've always thought was, well, Hey, you get a contract and you kind of need to do the, the backloaded contract because you're keeping in line also with the luxury tax. The luxury tax goes up. So you can, 0%. Afford, you know, no, 0%. Well, this I'm is, just sitting is, there. Yeah. This is why that doesn't that. And listen, I was on the negotiating committee for the players for like years and years and years. Right. So, um, so I can tell you this is how it works. The contracts are based on annual value in terms of the luxury tax threshold. So theoretically, okay, you could pay asymmetrical stuff so that you're never spending real dollars over a certain amount, but you could still be violating the luxury tax alternative years, right? If you have mm-hmm. it structured a certain way. Or I like take Albert's contract or my contract. If you say, okay, like my contract, I was a five-year player, right? If they would have paid me the same for every year, they would have got maximum value the first three years of the contract when I was the healthiest. And then that last year, the player becomes more tradable, you know, becomes easier to write off financially, like if they're, if they, if they're subpar performers or whatever, or like me, if they didn't perform at all because they were injured. So to me, it just makes so much more logical sense, but it was like, no, Artie wants to do it this way, so that's the way we're going to do it. And I was kind of like, all right, so I think the thing is, the thought process is, oh, we'll deal with that when we have to. 
that's a juncture we'll get to when we get to it. But I'm kind of a planner, and I like to think about it like in terms of AAV, but it was yeah. even worse for the Marlins. The Marlins were like, okay, your first year salary is going to be $6 million. And then your last year is going to be like twenty seven. I'm like, okay, that's just crazy. That's just this is just kooky news. Like, why would you ever do that? But what are you going to pay me? I'm never, I'm never a thirty million dollar player. Don't pay me that much. You know what I mean? That doesn't make sense. Like, I mean, Grant, I'll take it, but it would have made more sense to just evenly spread it because because that's how they're calculated. That's how they're calculated for luxury tax and all that stuff. Well, I think I think the Marlins honestly knew they weren't keeping all those players, so they can backload it and know it's not going to be their problem long term. Honestly. Uh, I guess Jeffrey doesn't own, Jeffrey Laurie doesn't own the team anymore. I don't think so. No, we'll see what happens with Jeter and the new group. And they they took the Marlon down, which is I think a good start. But you know, every organization got their own prerogative to do what they want, and you can't really predict that as a player. You have no idea who's going to come after you. I mean, even if Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Scherzer were all um, were, were all free agents at the same time, you know, I don't think anybody of us could accurately like predict who would sign who. You know, like we don't know. Like, maybe it's just like trades. Like, did anybody think Strowman was going to go to the Mets? Like, nope. 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 Is that <laughs> you know what I mean? Nope. It's like, okay, got him. CJ, we recently lost Tyler Skaggs and um, stunned a lot of us. You were his teammate. I'm sure it hurt. What was your best memory about Tyler? You know, just the overall vibe that you got from him was that he was an encouraging, like, positive collaborator. You know what I mean? He wasn't one of these guys that hogged the spotlight. He wasn't determined to be bigger or badder or flex harder than anybody else. He was determined to get the most out of himself. And he sought out advice from people he respected. He also would give perspective, you know, as, you know, to me as a younger guy. Um, he was taller than me. He did throw harder than me. I, I, I thought he had a better curveball than I did. I've always felt like he was going to have a better career than I was going to have. You know what I mean? Like I felt like, well, listen, if I could do what I did with what I have, look at what you could do. You know what I mean? If I, if you just, I'll, I'll give you anything you want. Like just take anything from me, any advice, any tricks, any little, you know, fool, fool, fool this hitter doing this or whatever. I'll, I'll teach you all the games, anything you want to know, you know, cause all I wanted was for Tyler to maximize his career. Cause I felt like he was such a talented guy. And unlike a lot of talented people, he did not take his talents for granted. He was a hard worker. He was a positive member of the community. He was definitely down to give back. He was a, he was a, a big hearted, lovable guy. And when I heard Someone tweeted something, and it's like, I can't believe this is such bad news about Skaggs. And I was like, oh, man, did he get hurt? Like, oh, did he, like, did he hurt his shoulder or something? Like, that's literally what I thought, you know? Mm-hmm. Because the way it came across was that it was sort of like, a, oh, we're, he's not going to pitch this year or something like that, you know? And it was, like, just starting to break out. And then I, like, looked into it. I Googled it, and I was like, oh, my God, wait, what? How is this possible? He's 27. Like, how? how is the Like, it straight up did not compute at all. I was... I still haven't really processed it and finalized it in my head mentally because he was like, I wanted him to be my little brother. You know what I mean? He was like this Mm -hmm. guy that everybody loved. And, you know, the hardest thing was when we went to his funeral and then they had all these people speak and it was great. Everybody was as moved by him as I was. Everybody felt as strongly about him as, well, we all felt the same about him. You know, he was one of those guys that uh, there's a lot of people that you come across that, that, you know, 
I, I guess you could say that they're nice, or you could say that they're that they're talented, or something like that. But he was like special in a different way, and I guess part maybe maybe part of it is his, his candle just burned really bright, you know, and and we we lost him, you know, way too young, and it's a it's it's hard because I still don't know. And I don't think anybody publicly has said what the deal is, like how it happened. And that mystery hurts a lot. And that's, that's the hardest part to take right now. And it's obviously during the baseball season and there's a lot of stuff like that, but I don't play baseball anymore. So part of me says like, okay, listen, I'll sign an NDA, but can you just please tell me so I can sleep at night? Because I like toss and turn knowing that this guy who had so much ahead of him is now gone. And, and you're getting it, those crazy reports out there saying this and that and this and that without any evidence and all that jazz. It's like, yeah, well, you know, we've determined it wasn't foul play. We've determined he didn't take his own life. I'm like, okay, then what was it? You know what I mean? Like, did he trip? Did he, like, hit his head on the bathtub? I mean, like, can you just give us something? Because the, your mind, because we see all these movies, right, and we see all these TV shows, and you automatically go through a scenario and you're like, okay, well, let me imagine it. it it's morbid, but it, it's what you do. And it's so painful and hard. But I think ultimately in what I've come out of after the, after the services that we had for him and stuff, I've come out with thinking like, okay, if he was here and we, we were able to have one last conversation and he could say, listen, crossed over. I'm on the other side. I'm never coming back. I'm in the spirit plane or like whatever he could possibly say. What would he tell me? You know, what would he tell me? And he would say, he would tell me to like, move on with my life, be happy, take care of my kids, be a good husband. Thanks for everything. Inspire people. And, oh, and by the way, I'm doing this charity and please, please help that get off the ground. And I'd be like, okay, cool. You know? And I think, and that's all I can take from it is to say, okay, I know that he had something in his heart that wasn't fully expressed in terms of the, the work that he wanted to do in the community. So maybe I can help with that. You know, I'm currently employed, but I have some free time from time to time and I can organize some stuff. So I think a couple, a couple of us ex teammates and, and friends are going to kind of carry on with what he wanted to do, which was to, um, you know, help, help city kids, uh, you know, express themselves through baseball, help city kids, maybe get out of a bad situation yeah. Uh, provide them with some equipment, provide them some, with some coaching and some guidance and stuff like that through either the RBI program or just, you know, local uh, local areas in Los Angeles and, and just in the Southern California area in general. And, you know, that, that type of cause is super huge to me because baseball completely changed my life. It took me from a place where I was like, okay, if I stay in this, in this circle, nothing good is going to happen to me. My dreams will not come true. I need baseball to achieve something that I want to, and my dreams will come through true through baseball. And, and that's, that's literally why I'm sitting here today with, with the life that I've had is because I've given baseball everything that I did. And, um, and in that sense, you know, it's a great message to, to carry on to kids to say, Hey, listen, baseball can change your life if you give it everything, you know, and it, it, it's what it did for me. And it's changed lives for so many different people. And, and, that t- actually takes us to now because you're still a hardworking man. What are you doing today? What is uh, you left the game to to sell and race cars? Is what I read, and I'm like, well, he's, he's wow. So what are you doing? What's the what's the deal here? What's going on? Well, I guess uh, first of all, like I would have kept playing if I would have had any cartilage or range of motion left in my elbow. You know, uh, my shoulder is yeah. completely fixed now. I'm pretty convinced I can still throw 90 miles an hour. 
Although I don't think my elbow will last another 200 innings. It might last like 45 or 50 innings, you know, before I need Tommy John surgery or something again. Um, I've had five arm surgeries, you know. So I knew that I had to transition into a role where I wasn't like tasked with, you know, so much heavy physical work. Uh, as, as a car dealer or as an investor, I get to sit at a desk. You know, I get to go to the gym and work out. I get to go jogging, I get to hang out with my kids and things like that and live a kind of normal nine to five life, except I'm more like on a nine to nine schedule. Um, so yeah, I've, I live in Fresno. Um, I own a couple of car dealerships up here and run a couple of car dealerships up here and I'm here five to seven days a week, pretty much like nine to nine or 10 to 10 or whatever. And then I go mm-hmm. home and work on my, my outside stuff. But yeah, I've got a, a girl that's about to turn two and a girl that's about to turn four. Uh, two kids now, so I'm just trying to teach them what I can about sports and, and life and being a good person and watching baseball on TV. I've actually done a, a little bit of announcing here in Fresno. I did some some games for the AAA team here, like just behind the microphone on TV, and it was kind of interesting. I actually tried out for a uh, – this is really funny. I tried out for Fox Sports and, um, you know, to do like a studio gig or whatever. And they're like, yeah, you know, you're just not like smiley enough. And you're like, you're very informed. <laughs> And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Screw this. I'm just going to do a podcast. Screw you guys. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and try to, I'm not going to be Charles Barkley and be a clown and like tackle people. It's just not what I do. You know, so, I've never, so if that's what people want to see on TV, then that's definitely not who I am. And I'm not going to be fake. So um, I think everybody appreciates that. I, I, I might not be the most likable guy, but at least I'm who I am. And I'm not going to like, I'm not fake about it. You know, you, so, you mentioned a podcast. What's this podcast about? Well, I, I have a podcast with one of my buddies who, ironically, is a heart surgeon, um, and uh, we discuss the car industry. Um, it's called Throttle Dogs, and um, it's on iTunes. I think we've got like 32 episodes that we put out there or whatever. And then I'm, I'm working on a podcast with Hank Conger, former Angel, mm-hmm. a baseball podcast um, called Battery Mates, and it's basically just him and I going through baseball scenarios and um just sort of life outside of baseball uh, we were actually both from huntington beach and we played together and out of all the pitchers and catchers that ever worked together i think hank and i probably had the most fun working together like we might not have had the most no hitters or that type of stuff uh, or won the most games but like i loved working with hank and it was so funny because i said dude come up to fresno let's record a podcast i got a whole setup in my office it'll be great so we did two episodes we're kind of shopping them right now to see if anybody's interested in picking it up. Well, somebody will. Somebody yeah, I mean, you know, and if not, no worries. It was fun, and, and Hank and I are really good friends, and I think he is very entertaining, and he will eventually catch on as a television or radio personality just because it's so in his DNA. It's so natural for him. Whereas for me, I like the whole stand-up comedy aspect of this whole thing where, you know, I'm z- I have zero fear of failing, so I just I just want to try things, knowing that like it doesn't matter how bad it works, it'll never be as bad as getting hit in the head with a line drive. You know, yeah. <laughs> this is the way yeah, I look at yeah. it. Yeah. Well, a you guys could always just you know start one, just go to Spreaker or somewhere else and just do your podcast, and somebody may pick it up that way. And just right. saying. Well, the thing is, that's what I'm already doing with this other thing. Mm-hmm. So with 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 uh, my buddy Rich. So Rich is the head of cardiac surgery right so he literally does open heart surgeries but him and i and i am a car dealer that's also like a active investor in like weird projects and like real estate and cryptocurrency and stuff like that and um and so literally like you have these two nerds like me and rich 
and we we talk about what we love and hate about cars and we get some pretty good feedback on it and it's fun because i i obviously really like cars and there's no uh no no one's ever sent us a message saying screw you guys you cost me 300 bucks because i was betting on yeah. the fact that you were going to like this but you didn't like it so i lost because people would say that to me all the time like oh you know you were supposed to lose to the A's, but you beat them. I hate you. Or you're supposed to beat the Red Sox, but they beat you. They they whipped your ass. So like, I lost five hundred bucks. I'd be like, dude, don't gamble on sports, man. Don't gamble on sports. That's stupid. Like, don't you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't have any sympathy for that. So it's kind of funny. Well, it is just about that time to go. I mean, you you t- you went over and beyond time to know how hard you're working. Can you let people know where they can find you online on social media and? pretty much anything you're involved with uh yeah you know my uh instagram is cj wilson photo and my car uh instagram because people used to complain that i post too much about cars on my personal stuff so i did just a car only one and that's supercar underscore cj and then i then the the throttle dogs those are like the three main ones where i'm participating on that so if you don't like cars i don't know what to show you because i don't post a lot of selfies of me like hey this is me playing baseball remember those days I just, I don't know, I'm not really that nostalgic about myself. I don't collect my own memorabilia. But um, I still watch a lot of baseball, and you, people will probably catch me at Giants games or uh, Dodgers games or Angels games or whatever from time to time just because I, I, I do still like going. It's actually nice to go to baseball games now, you know, yeah. and not have the stress of, of winning. So it's cool. All right. Well, again, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And I hope we can talk again soon because this has been an interview for the ages in terms of just conversation. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Derek. Well, it's, a, uh, it's nice to come on and, and have a chance to talk about baseball. So hope uh, hope it goes well and uh, let me know when, when you need me on again. I appreciate it. All right, folks, that's all I got for you. A little bit shorter podcast tonight. It was an off day. It has been a long day. got family in, and I hope that you all enjoyed the road trip this weekend, just kind of getting a breather from what we saw against Baltimore and Detroit. So in the meantime, though, it is time for me to go. You can follow us on Twitter, at Talking Halos. You can check out our Facebook page, which is also aptly named Talking Halos. We've had some requests to also make a group page. I think we'll do that as well. And you can also check us out, me on Twitter, at DC Apollo. Don't forget John, you get it, at Jay's Crane John. And don't forget, you can find us anywhere podcasts are found, including Apple Music, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all those places. Okay, for the entire team, this is Derek C. Paul saying have a great night. We'll see you Sunday. Hopefully, at least talking about one Angels win, we'll find out. We'll see you then. Have a great one. Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA. Only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV.
You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.